Hello, everyone, and welcome to our next episode of the Meteor Monthly Spotlight. This month, we are joined by one of our wonderful friends, longtime friends at Final. Nick Alt is here with us today, and we have a series of questions for Nick. We're going to walk through these, and it's definitely a podcast you won't want to miss, so make sure you guys stick around for the latter part of this podcast as well. Nick, thank you so much for joining us. It's really wonderful to have you here today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Of course. And we're also joined by Felipe. Everybody knows Felipe on our team. So our GM and lead developer at Meteor Software. Hi, Felipe. Thank you for being here. Hello, Elise. Hello, Nick. Okay, so we're going to just jump right in here to some of the questions that we have for you, Nick. The first one, of course, just tell us about Vinyl. Where can people go to find information about Vinyl? What makes Vinyl great? Who would benefit most from Vinyl? Give us all the details. Yeah, for sure. So Vinyl is a monthly music discovery service that takes the form of up to three Vinyl records arriving at your doorstep every month. And what makes it really unique and interesting and the whole reason it's a very technology-focused business is that we look at what the customer is listening to both by way of like what they tell us about their music taste in the form of a music profile. And then we also have the ability to connect to their Spotify account and look at different odds and ends of what playlists they're listening to, what tracks they're favoriting to give us a really good idea of how to best curate music for them. So unlike a lot of subscription businesses, subscription clubs that send out to all the customers, the same product to the whole cohort, we actually curate specifically to each music customer's tastes by way of like hundreds of different albums that are available to us monthly by way of ones that we're either creating exclusively or ones that we have worked with the major record labels to allocate or put forth to our members. So we curate those and then the box really culminates with a handwritten note that is actually handwritten and addressed to each customer and explains all the selections in the box. So it's super bespoke, super special, and we've been at it for almost six years now and have done really well with the business and also just to, the, I think it really scratches a niche for that music customer who's probably most likely bought their first record player and has never really bought music before. It's always been like a digital experience. And so having it in this format and in a long form type of content experience is quite compelling and interesting, especially as people are home more and are trying to create that vibe or trying to create that space. Music is a big part of that. I think having a record player and having a vinyl record collection is really interesting. So we thought it'd be quite compelling to have it be tailored to you specifically versus like stuff you can find on Amazon or stuff you can find in a vintage record store. Mm -hmm, For sure. So I know that Felipe is probably going to have a lot of questions from the technical side here because there's definitely a Mm -hmm. lot to unpack with what you guys are doing. My first question is, do you guys ship to Canada? We absolutely ship to Canada. Perfect. That's great. Do you guys ship to Brazil as well? I think Brazil is one of the countries we ship to. Yep. Perfect. That's good. So that's the end of the pot. No, I'm just joking, but that would be great. (laughs) Uh, As long as you guys ship to the countries that we're in. It's interesting because I myself have a small vinyl collection of probably about like 200 records so far. My dad introduced me to it when we were kids. And so I have like an old record player from like the seventies and it's probably one of like my favorite things just about, I mean, just music in general. Vinyl is just the best thing to have. But for me specifically, I moved from a reasonably sized town in British Columbia, which is about like 
you know, 300,000 people. There's like normal stores, there's box stores, you got everything you need. I live in a very small community now about like 15,000 people. So we don't really have a lot here. We don't have a record store anymore. I don't have easy access to vinyl like I used to. So it's really exciting to hear what you guys are doing and how important this is for people like me as well, who still have such a love for music and vinyl and still have access to it. And in such a customized way, I think it's so unique. So for, I guess, jumping in now to some of the technical questions, can you tell us a little bit more about your tech stack, just an overview in general? Yeah, for sure. It's gone through a few different variations over the years, but predominantly we were an early adopter of Meteor back in late 2014, early 2015. And we're hosting that in a platform that predated Galaxy. And so we have the core vinyl web application, which we have both our front end user facing, the customer facing components of it. And then we have the more administrative tooling on the back end. And that's like, that's really the, the core of the product and what we're most proud of as it's a little bit inverse than a lot of consumer products where you put a lot of your effort into the consumer facing experience. Whereas in our case, the administrative tools, people that have like a solid base of music fundamental knowledge, we make them just like exceptionally great at being able to curate for any customer based on that tooling and that investment in the tooling. So we have that. And then we have some other sidecar applications that are driving the core web app. So, you know, on the core web app, we maybe have like four or five containers running at a time. And then those are being serviced by a couple other applications that are doing processing in the background and such. And then our other components of the stack external to like Galaxy would be Compose and MongoDB. I think we've migrated some of our databases to Mongo just for a little bit more control over costing and scaling efficiencies there. We were paying a premium for Compose for quite a while and love that product. But also too, I think there's a couple of things that we were overpaying for something that we didn't really need. Beyond that, from a technical stack, I mean, all the common flair of like our code repos and Bitbucket and such like that. But it's pretty simple. Like there's not a ton of extra services that we're using to keep the product going or to keep iterating or developing on it. And in terms of like the libraries that you are using, what libraries are you using like for the UI or for like some other yeah. library that are important for you? Yeah, we have a lot of different libraries that we've used, which I think was a testament to how we were able to spin the company up in, in the matter of a couple months. Whereas I think under a normal development cycle, it would have taken us about three to six months to do it. We're leveraging definitely like a Spotify library. We're leveraging a Twitter library. We're leveraging obviously like the user tooling to make it easier to create roles and different permissions within the product. I'm trying to think of like other core libraries that are integral to what we're doing. Stripe is our payment stack. So that's some parts origination code that we've created. And then I, th I think we are leveraging a couple libraries there for that. I think when we started, we had a ton of libraries. And then over time, as those libraries become more deprecated, it's a function of like, are we going to clone this and build it out? How key is this functionality? Or are we ripping it out and creating more efficiencies because ultimately this doesn't have enough usage to warrant us to continue to support it. Like, I think a good example of that would be like we were leveraging a Gravatar library at the beginning just to pull in <laughs> that user profile photo. I don't think that got kept up with. And so we just ended up stripping that out after maybe a year or two of use. And for the view layer, are you using React or Blaze or Vue? 
There's a few different things we're doing. I know we have some Angular components in there. We're definitely using Blaze. We do have a separate app entirely that is built and references a lot of the stuff in the Vinyl Core app, but that is built in React and React Native so that we can deploy some Android iOS binaries and such. Oh, that's cool. So I think you have like a good mix here because I have a little bit of Angular, yeah. a little bit of Blaze, a yeah. little bit of React. Yep. I don't know how much you can tell about this, but like if you would start a new project today, do you have a preference like and why or what would be your choice? It's a great question. It's always been around like efficiency of the team we have. And we're really keen on getting an MVP out and getting it in use as quickly as possible. So because we're so nimble, like almost nimble to a fault, I think that's what brought us to Meteor originally. And then what no one really understands and like you have to figure out in hindsight is you build these products, you get the MVP out there, you start getting some user adoption. I would say most of the things like we kind of prototype and build are complete flops. Like the use isn't there. It's like a super cool feature, but nobody really understands it or leverages it. And then we abandon it. And then it's like the ones that become like super successful are a little rarer, but then they become very successful and you have to kind of adapt and change them. And I don't think that's ever like required us to necessarily like say we start in Angular and then like make this big pivot to where we're going to reauthor all this stuff in a different framework or a different code base. But it is interesting to kind of learn how to scale things in the, each specific language as one thing becomes successful or not. And then like limitations that follow, I would say like everything's got a lot easier than maybe 10 years ago. So like, it doesn't feel like you make great mistakes by picking your favorite flavor or like adapting to the engineering team you have at that moment, or like somebody who's really taking charge or the most vocal and saying, Oh no, I'm like a big proponent for angular. So that's what we're going to do for this. It's like, cool, cool. We, we don't care as long as it doesn't break everything else. And if it does work, tell us how we're going to scale that. So yeah, that's kind of like our philosophy around it. And I think this is pretty cool because like nowadays we see a bunch of people learning how to code, what's great. I mm -hmm. encourage everybody to code because I just love to code. So like everybody mm -hmm. that I'm like in a bar or anywhere in a restaurant, if people start to talk to me, somehow I'm going to say, mm -hmm. oh, you should learn how to code. So I, I really like this movement that's happening. I think everywhere in the world, people are very excited about code. But what I don't like about this movement is that sometimes people are just trying to learn what is new, but they are not focused on like the results that are going to achieve. And you are saying the opposite here, right? Oh, I'm just focusing the results, like what I want to deliver for my clients. And yes. the tool is just like the medium that I'm going to use to deliver this result. But it's not that important because sometimes you see in technology, like people are really like, oh, I just use React because React is the best and React is this and is that. Mm -hmm. But for other use cases, maybe Blaze is better because it's just simple and you just have HTML there and a few tags and you're ready to go. Or mm -hmm. for other cases, you prefer to have like controller services, more like the Angular style. Mm -hmm. So it's good to see a company that's focused more in what can be achieved with the technology instead of just choosing the technology. And also another important aspect that you mentioned here is about the team. Because in some cases, the leadership of the company, they decide a technology that the team is not familiar with. That's right. So that's going to add a lot of burden in the team because they need to learn everything again. And maybe they are already proficient in another tool that's as much as good as the other tool. So mm -hmm. that's really cool. And I would like to hear a little bit more about React Native because you mentioned that you're using it. Can you explain a little bit of your 
like workflow, how the features are working between like React Native and the meter side. Do you have any details to share about this? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, I, th I think to your point, like it is always interesting where you have, you know, an executive team. It feels like to me, like culturally, you're trying to influence or you're trying to relay some expertise that seems like, why are you trying to exert that? when it just creates like animosity in the culture of your engineering teams, when you're trying to like brute force something into existence or because it's like somebody who's technically at a higher rank than you is making these decisions, but they're not ultimately oftentimes like the smartest person to be making that call. And if you just kind of like would listen to your team a little bit more, I think you'd have better results in the form of like people who are more engaged and satisfied in creating code, creating prototypes, all that kind of stuff. And just like, frankly, faster timelines to execution. So I think if you are starting from that uneven footing of like, okay, we're going to brute force. And, you know, I'm insisting that you're going to use blaze for this, like no other options, if ands or buts, then you've created this friction and conflict inside of the team and that organization. And then it's going to show itself in the form of like less than great product and longer timelines. And, you know, you're managing that all the way through the process when it could have just been squashed at the beginning by allowing people to work in what they're comfortable or what they're like very strong in. I think you're identifying super interesting about engineering culture and just like how organizations are identified and created. But in terms of your question about like React. Yeah, just before you jump into React Native, just to say something else about like this decision on technology. Usually when I'm just leading the project, but I'm not like coding every day, mm -hmm. I always just like advise people like I would do this. But as you are going to work in this code, like every day, I think it's better for you to decide. Because if I decide something, but I'm not working in the code every day, I'm just the leader of the project. So my decision is not that important because if yes. I make a decision that makes you uncomfortable, then you need to handle this like every day. And I don't because I'm just leading the project. So sometimes like the leader wants to make the decision, but he's not going to handle this decision every day. So yep. it's better to delegate and, okay, I'm just putting some like trade-offs here so you can analyze, but the final decision, it's yours because you're going to handle this for many hours every day. So that can be a boring task if you're not comfortable with the technology. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, I think it's like, it's super smart. I mean, it's like, it just shows kind of like the rapport you have with your engineering team. It imparts trust. And also too, it's like, to your point, I'm not going to be in that code base every day. So why would I insist that you use something else? It's like, do what you're comfortable with as long as you can do great work. And I mean, Meteor, Meteor makes that super compelling and easy. Oftentimes you maybe don't have that luxury to where you can't just kind of have odds and ends and different pieces and it doesn't affect the overall structure of what you're doing. So I think that's also why it's like a beautiful platform to having an engineering culture around. Yeah, just, maybe we're never going back to React Native, sorry, Liz. That's okay. No, <laughs> it's a good story. I don't know if we have time for it. React Native is like very interesting in relation to like these subsidiary vinyl apps we have because so we have the core app and we have all this other shit around it that I think is like wild. No, I want to know more, definitely. Yeah, let's jump into it. I just wanted to say quickly as well, just to that point, um, you know, just about allowing your team to choose within their comfort level of what makes sense to them. We have so many of these conversations with people and we talk a lot about the technical aspect of companies, but there is such a big component to culture in companies just in general and like mm -hmm. how you operate, how you treat the people who work with you. And it sounds like you guys are doing such an excellent job of that in general by allowing your engineers to have that kind of freedom and to do what they want. I imagine there's just a lot of value from them as well. And I just wanted to call that out because 
it is such an important piece of a startup and a company in general is that culture and that value piece. Yeah, it's huge. I mean, I, I think being in an engineering organization, you sometimes forget at the end of the day and with everybody being remote now, it's like you're still working with human beings on the other end of the line. Like totally. that code is not like magically being generated via some AI that's spitting it out. There's yeah. still somebody who's living their life and who has kids and goes to birthday parties. And yeah, it's got totally. the 4, 4 PM like caffeine slump. And like, totally. you know, I'm just really not going to deliver excellence right now. So I think the more human you can be in like just talking about these things before you start anything, it just gives everybody uh, equal footing and, like the open dialogue and like the, the ability to make mistakes. It's like, you mm-hmm. might start on something or a component and you're like, I really thought this was going to be the best way to do it. But to be honest, like I don't love what I'm creating. Mm-hmm. Like I'm always delighted when somebody, a, they have like the comfort in me to say that and not feel like I'm going to bite their head off or like be mad because we're going to miss a deadline. And then like simultaneously to that, like we've created that trust. Like it was created long before that conversation was had, but you know, that, we started at the right place to where we need to have that conversation. It's not like this arduous exercise and we need to like bring in HR and we got to have like this whole like conflict mediation mm-hmm. <laughs> session because we are arguing about something stupid. So <laughs> yeah, totally. One thing that you said about Mitcher that I think I see that your point of view, it's a benefit, but it's also a challenge for us because you said like with Mitcher, I could choose like to use Blaze, to use React, to use Angular. And that's mm-hmm. really nice. But in our point of view here internally, it's also a challenge because oftentimes we are discussing like, how can we create content for all this technology that you support? Mm-hmm. And you have some other tools in the market. they just support one very strict way to do stuff. So it's easier for them because they can just focus on one stuff. But in the same time for their clients, it's probably a challenge because they can't diversify. Like they can have two or three different layers in the same company because they would need to study a lot other stack from scratch. And in our case, you can just learn Meteor. And if you're not so happy with like React, you can try your next project with Vue, but you mm-hmm. can still use the same other code that you're using mm-hmm. to be like a shared code, a package or an NPM package. Mm-hmm. So that's also a nice advantage of Meteor. But in some cases, it's hard for us as well. So there are trade-offs in this relationship, but it's nice to provide many options for our community. And I think you are like a kind of a unique example here because it's not so easy to find people that are using different technologies. And that really proves your point that you are trying to get the result and try to focus what's the best technology for this specific project. Yeah, I mean, you're problem solving, right? And it's like, okay, we all have different toolboxes that we're going to bring into this room. And like, you know, I might be super great at this, but you're great at that. And like, I feel like you're going to be stronger at building that. Meteor gives us this luxury that I think is really understated sometimes. I don't think people coming into this or like listening to a technical podcast would maybe understand. But from like an organizational engineering organization leadership perspective, it just makes it so much easier to understand how to best tee up that problem set to the team and know that we can deliver on it and we're not going to have to be doing something that's like really aggressively making a hard fork or a hard change to say, this is where we need to stay in this lane. It's like, I don't ever feel that way. Whereas I have felt that way before with managing objective C or like swift teams. Um, and like, it's very unforgiving and you can really be unstabilized on your team by, uh, the knowledge base that everyone's working from coming from that experience. Like I just always delighted by like what we're working on in the meteor side. So So I know we've taken a bit of a sidestep here, but let's get back into some of the meat and potatoes here. So we previously, (laughs) I think we're chatting about the React Native components to this. So maybe let's jump back into that because I think a lot of people would want to hear about this. 
Yeah, for sure. For sure. So the whole reason I started vinyl is because I had been running a software team at Vimeo and I knew what it was like to be like cooking out these big hit app store apps in that era of mobile, like just mass mobile adoption. And I really want to do a hardware product, like consumer electronic hardware product. And I naively did not understand that it was going to take a significant amount of capital to create a consumer electronics device. So I thought that it would be interesting to chase the subscription model for the vinyl company as a business and just test it to see if it worked. And then it ended up really working, being very, very successful with a lot of customers. And what it ended up doing was like pathwayed us to be able to create our own piece of record player hardware. So the level of absurdity is not lost on me, but I basically created this idea where you would take a Linux computer, like a cheap Raspberry Pi computer and put it under the hood of a record player. And a lot of like vinyl aficionados of, I don't know, 40 plus, whatever, like the old guard of vinyl would accuse me of blasphemy. But to me, it's a very specific like use case problem of why in a smart home, when you have a lot of speakers or you have like no wiring, like this is not commonplace anymore. Why can't I just have my record player talk to others, this other stuff? Like that's ultimately what I'm trying to solve for. So I'm like, okay, you're going to do that by way of a Linux computer and it's going to pair or it's going to create its own stream and it's going to broadcast itself over the speakers in the environment. So in order to do that, like there's a lot that went into that, but when it came time to actually start creating the connective tissue between the record player and this great subscription business we have that curates music for people, we needed to have applications to talk to the hardware. So that's where React Native became a very obvious play for us to be able to build build it once and deploy it for both iOS and Android in the way in which, okay, you've got this customer, you've got all this great data around this customer because they've been a customer for a while, and now we're going to embark them in a record player experience to where we need it to have an app that can talk to all these like libraries natively, Bluetooth, like the hardware on the device and stuff, but also connect that back into what we already had built up and baked in the Meteor side of things. So it made total sense to like create and author this app in Meteor, but also like use all the React native odds and ends and cool stuff to do the deploys so that when you are registering, signing into your account, a lot of these customers aren't like brand new to the experience of the vinyl company. They just are now adding on a piece of hardware to their record subscription. So a lot of that made it like exceptionally easy for us to like get started on that without starting completely from scratch. We already had like the users, we already had all of that data around the music that we had been sending them. So we knew what their library consisted of. And then like the vinyl core app also has functionality and feature set that basically shows where these record players are because they all have IP addresses. They're all like, the beauty of them are is that they're all like literally streaming and fingerprinting the audio that you're listening to on an analog disc and adding that to your profile, which then in turn like creates this really nice flywheel of, Oh, well they said they like this stuff in their profile and they're listening to this on streaming, but lo and behold, they like listen to this like one record all the time. Like they really love all these old Sinatra records and that's what they use their record player for. Like that's not information that would necessarily have come out of the music profile or from, their Spotify account, but that is like super important to us when we're curating music for them. And now like having this record player hardware 
And like the React experience that drove that, like that has made it really easy for us to add more layers of the curation to it. So that's a sentiment of what we got to a long-winded way of explaining like why React Native was so cool in relation to Meteor. But like, honestly, it was like such an easy scale for us to build that product because we had so much already working for us. And it wasn't like, okay, this siloed record player project is not connected to the record subscription business you have. It's like, nope, we already have all that. Just start building it so we can deploy it and have a great little setup experience for the new people buying the electronic product. This is really great, really great. In these talks, like we discovered so many things that were built with Meteor that I had no idea. So it's very nice <laughs> to hear. Yeah. Also, like we talk about a lot of nice things, but did you have any challenge along the way? I believe so. Like in many mm -hmm. years, like do you remember any challenge that was especially like hard to overcome, like a technical challenge that you had? I swear to God, it took us the longest amount of time in the early days because we MVP'd it so quickly. But like, as you have like thousands of customers overnight and they're all putting in orders, you know, you, re you were getting like orders every minute. No one on the team knew how to optimize and paginate that live database display. And also like, so that combined with, let's not forget, we had like so many libraries or so many connections to the database we were doing to pull in all these different elements of information. So those user profile pages used to take like minutes to load all that information in. And then the order page to even get started processing the orders for like a record store clerk curator member. I mean, it was painful to watch. Now it's like so blazing fast, but I swear we wasted so much time just in page loads on something because... It worked great when you only had like the first dozen customers, but you scale it to a thousand, ten thousand. You're just like, why is this taking so long to load? Why does no one know how to author <laughs> like the pagination or like the lazy loading of some of this stuff? Because it's like literally just blitzing us with all the data all at once. And it's awesome because like no one was like accidentally curating an order because you'd see someone else working on it in real time. But yeah, there was some trade-offs at the early days. Stuff that we felt like we should have known how to do, but like seemingly no one on the team was like clued into how to do that. <laughs> yeah, one one thing that I read so happening more than one time, like running Galax, and now we are running Galax, but I imagine at that time we are not Galax were not was not available yet. But one thing that mm -hmm. we see very often that the clients are running on Galax and maybe they are not expecting a huge load. But they can react to this load because we have like auto scaling, we have triggers, we have alerts, so they know what's going on. So they can put a lot of containers there. And of course, for a few days, they're going to spend more money. But at least they have the time to try to understand what's going on and try to adapt the system. Because as you said, like when we have just a few clients, everything's going to work. And I already had an experience like this because I had an app where people could like content. And like we had a lot of players. It was a player app for people that want to be a soccer player. So famous player in Brazil, they promote the app. Mm -hmm. And so we start to receive a lot of likes, but we are storing the likes inside an array. So the post object was huge because we had a lot of likes inside the array. So we had to change how we store the likes. And like, at least we are running on Galaxy at the time. So you can put a lot of containers there to be able to handle all this data. But later, of course, you need to optimize. So I think that's one nice way that Galaxy can help because it's so easy to scale up and scale down. So you mm -hmm. can spend a little bit more money, but you don't hurt too much the experience of your clients. And later you can just scale down and you can do the same with the database as well. So I believe that's the best way to grow, because if you try to optimize for all the cases, maybe mm -hmm. you are going to optimize for some features that people are not going to use it. So yep. it's better to have a little bit of trouble. Of course, you can do better what you know how to do better. 
But in some case, you can just do whatever you, you know how to do it and you can optimize later. Because I also see some people trying to optimize a lot before they even release the product. And maybe nobody's going to use the product. And that's sad. And you spend a lot of time. So it's good that you had this experience and you can see. And I think it's, at least when I had this, it's a good feeling, right? Because you are in trouble, but you are in trouble because your business is growing. Mm-hmm. So it's like a mixed feelings because you are like afraid because you can fail, but you can also succeed in a big way. So it's a nice place to be. Well, I'd be very embarrassed to tell you that if you were to like go back and just look at the billing history for vinyl in our Meteor or our Galaxy application, I don't know where we went awry, but I swear to God, we kept thinking that the result of why things were slow is because we needed to keep scaling the containers. So at one point, like we had scaled so many different like containers and instances of the same application in different deploys to just try to keep people isolated and try to isolate this issue. Lo and behold, it was never ultimately a processor or like scale problem in the galaxy app. Like we weren't maxing it out. We like, there's no, I was like, there's no way it wasn't until like maybe two years ago, we realized that like, it was just the number of database connections that we were making to pull in the amount of data we do to process these orders that we were able to like scale the DB side of what we were doing and like, go crazy on that and it literally made it so that we could reconsolidate the whole application layer down to only running a couple instances like we were i think we were running like 12 instances at one point just because we we're like this doesn't make any sense like why are we or we needed all these to like handle all the <laughs> amount of people that were using it but it wasn't actuality like we were just like overpaying for silly things but again like you're a victim of your own success <laughs> you have so many things happening that you're just like I guess it works, but this still doesn't seem right. <laughs> and then you get, we had a, we had a, like a moment to like reevaluate and look at it, and be like, "Oh my gosh, it's like a database problem. It's not an actual instance scaling issue that we needed to resolve here." One way that you're using Galaxy that I think is really nice that you have multiple apps on Galaxy. It's so easy to deploy any app that is just one command, literally. That's right. And it, it's going to be easier pretty soon because you're going to release a feature where it's going to be even easier to deploy to Galaxy. But anyway, like it's so easy to deploy a new app. So maybe you can have even the same code base, but you can disable some features and you can run just background jobs and you can deploy two apps. So like your clients are not affected by your background jobs and vice versa. Mm -hmm. So this way to use Galaxy is a little bit creative way, but it's a nice way to isolate the demands that you have. So you're not affecting your clients when you are processing like some stuff in the background as you do like for the other apps. So that's really nice. And I see that you have multiple apps and this is a nice pattern. And the way that we charge people, we are just charging containers and hours. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if you are running like two containers in two different apps, it's the same as running two containers in the same app. So it doesn't matter in terms of cost. And it's Mm -hmm. a nice way to avoid some cases of like hyperloading. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's it's super transparent and like very easy and obvious, not only from an engineering perspective, but just from a pure like business operations perspective, like it's commonsensical in terms of how that's laid out and how to like best practices of deploying apps. And like when you're not using apps, you can easily shut them down without killing the whole product and you can spin them back up when you need them. Like it's very nicely done. Now, this is probably my least favorite part of podcasts, but it's our wrap up time. (laughs) You know, these are such great conversations. We always love to sit down with people, especially yourself, Nick, and just chat about what you guys are doing. So thank you for joining us. But before we totally wrap up, give us a little overview. What's next for Vinyl in the next little while? What can we expect from you guys? 
Thank you for that opportunity to talk about it. We've we've been so busy with the amount of growth we have by the way of the pandemic and the amount of demand for vinyl and, and people listening to vinyl. It's so encouraging because like, I don't think anyone would have predicted, even myself included, to be honest, like the crazy resurgence of vinyl to where there's like constantly new people buying record players for the first time now. And I think that's like really exceptional and cool. And so our kind of like approach and thinking around this is that to create not only value for the customer, but more and more value for artists who aren't necessarily needing to sign to record labels in order to create success, especially like financial success for themselves. And so the way in which we're doing that is exploring new and innovative ways in which we can release vinyl and create really decent revenue streams from physical sales of music for artists. So we're exploring a lot there. We're exploring with innovation, like in the manufacturing side of vinyl to create better products. And like, especially it seems like such an analog archaic format and that's half the charm, but I still think it's quite interesting when you take innovation in other arenas and apply it to that to create like a richer experience for that customer and thus like a richer experience for the artist because the artist has like a more interesting canvas to play with when it comes to releasing their music on vinyl and stuff like that. And so we've got a few of those things going. We continue to explore, you know, just by virtue of being like a subscription e-commerce business, there's so much we have gained by way of the institutional knowledge that we can help other small business e-commerce around. You have to remember, we came up in the age that was pre really Shopify, or especially like Shopify did not have a great answer for handling subscription based e-commerce businesses. And so because our stack is so custom and built specific for us, there's just so much value under the hood, if only just like talking about it, but also too, there's been other companies in this, not music vertical necessarily, but other subscription e-commerce businesses that have benefited from some of the technology we've created in Meteor. And I think that's really interesting and cool, especially when you just like, it doesn't have to be just the accepted notion that Shopify is the only way to do it. There's other things that people want to do and there's other integrations that need to happen. And I think that's where we can add tons of value just be by virtue of being a little bit of an early adopter to subscription e-com and how the subscription box space can continue to evolve and service the customers better. So I think that's where we see ourselves in the next five, 10 years of the business and just continuing to grow. We love that. And thank you for sharing that with us, Nick. For anybody listening, we are going to link all of the important links that Vinyl has below if you want to check out their website and get started with a subscription with them because then you can get some cool vinyl right to your door, which is kind of awesome. Um, yeah, we'll figure out a discount code for anybody listening to the podcast. I'm sure it'll be in the show notes. be exciting. Yeah, <laughs> we'll put that all in the description below if you guys want to access that as well. Nick, thank you so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure to chat. I know our last conversation a few months ago was so enjoyable for Felipe and I. It really is such a treat to be able to sit down and talk to you about what you guys are doing and all the success that you guys have. So thank you for being here with us today. No, thank you for having me. Thanks for being great custodians of the media product. And we love our collaboration with y'all. So we're so glad. I appreciate you both as well. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you soon.